Hear another word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our text this morning uh, is uh, a reminder of uh, a revisiting of the Beatitudes that we studied this morning. And as we study this particular Beatitude, I want to give special attention to it because it brings us into an incredibly important doctrine, an incredibly important uh, teaching that we find in Scripture. We, we live in a very visual culture today. Uh, our eyes are constantly overwhelmed with pictures, with videos, with television, uh, with billboards. They now even have electronic billboards that are constantly changing as you're driving past them. Uh, we were talking this morning in our Sunday school class, even uh, Julia DeYoung brought up that we don't even use words to communicate anymore, we use emojis. Uh, to communicate our emotions. If you, someone asks how we're doing, uh, you might see that people respond in text messages with little clips of movies in GIF form to communicate uh, uh, ideas and expressions of emotions. We don't use words anymore. We're just so much given to the visual. But yet, even in a visual culture such as ours, we still talk about seeing in ways that don't have anything to do with sight. So, for example, sometimes we will say, oh, I, I see. Not everything we've seen, we've come to understand something. Or, I, I don't see what you're trying to tell me here. It has nothing to do with what's in front of our eyes. Or, once you see what's really going on in the world, you can't unsee it. Again, you hear some things uh, stated in, in, in the modern world that's uh, increasingly chaotic. To see means to understand. We see something, we understand it. Now this morning we consider Jesus' Beatitudes, and again we need to spend more time on this particular one because Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 is laying out before us the great hope of the Christian. That as Christians, our, our great hope is that one day we will truly see God. That's our hope for one day. And so this, tonight I want to spend a little bit of time working through some of the biblical background that Jesus is summarizing and wrapping together in a book so beautifully and so concisely in his Beatitude. So our big idea tonight is this, that to see God now prepares us to see him for eternity. To see God now prepares us to see him for eternity. So three parts to our, our time tonight. First of all, the requirement for our vision, the requirement for our vision. Uh, second, uh, how we are reshaped by our vision, how we are reshaped by our vision. And then third, the realization of our vision, the realization of our vision. So let's start with the requirement of our vision. What Jesus is getting at is that there is a twofold requirement for what we see. The first requirement is just what Jesus says, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And to see God requires that we be pure in heart. There's a requirement about purity of heart in order to see God at all. That's the, the entrance of how we see God. And Jesus is actually alluding back to one of the Psalms, the Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 6, where the psalmist asks, Who shall ascend the mount of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer in verse 4, 24 verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, Clean hands, a clean external actions with the hands, and a pure heart, a purity in our inward thoughts, desires, and our will, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. To see God's face, to seek after God's face, that's visual, to see God, to see God face to face. And remember, this is for only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And remember, it's, it's no accident that the psalmist speaks of seeking the face of the God of Jacob, because Jacob was one of those who saw God face to face when he wrestled with God. So the requirement, the first part of this requirement for our vision is that we have clean hands and a pure heart. But there's another part of this requirement, and this other part of the requirement is that we must respond to God in a certain way when we are given a glimpse of Him. And that response is repentance. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through, or verse 5, when Isaiah is given this great vision, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He has this incredible, extraordinary vision of God, and he responds in the only way that is permissible, the only way that is right. He responds by repentance. Repentance that leads to this resemblance. We talked about this this morning. There's a connection between a repentant heart that turns from our spiritual bankruptcy and turns to God. And so Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Purity of heart is required to see God, but Isaiah is showing us that when we see God, it triggers this response where we realize that the purity of heart that cuts in the door to see God, so to speak, is not a sufficient kind of purity. More is required of us. More God calls from us. And that leads us to repent of our uncleanness and our impurities. The two sides of this, that we must be pure of heart to see God, and that when we see God, we will be driven to a greater degree of purity of heart. These two sides are perhaps something like getting married. The commitment requires to get married. Now, you better be committed to get married. You're entering into something very serious and Premarital counseling, I spend a lot of time with a lot of people just making sure, are you actually serious about the commitment that you are going to have to make? You'll have to have purity or unity of heart toward the one that you are about to marry. But as time goes on in a marriage, as you actually go through some of the things that you have vowed to do, to stay with your spouse in sickness and health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, well, each time you come through those highs and lows and the, your vows are tested and they are stretched, your commitment must grow as time goes on. Your commitment the beginning, sure, but as time goes on, you're put through the ringer of the experiences of day in, day out of marriage. That commitment has to grow and stretch and expand. That's what the pure in heart is like. Only the pure in heart see God, but as we see God, God calls us into a greater degree of purity. But how then does this growth take place? Well, it's not that we must become perfectly pure before we see God. Otherwise, no one would ever see God in any sense. The way the Bible describes this is as a progressive growth. We see God progressively better as God makes us progressively pure. Seeing God, let me put this a different way, seeing God is the way in which God purifies our hearts. This morning I summarized this teasing, you know, to come back. Thank you for taking the bait and coming tonight. Uh, that uh, seeing God is the primary engine of transforming us into resemble God. 
takes repentance, and that repentance leads to resemblance, but it's that seeing God that weds, that weds those two ideas together. Seeing God is the engine of transforming us to resemblance. So this brings us to the second section as we consider more about what Jesus is saying about how we are reshaped by our vision. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is, those who see God are transformed to be increasingly pure in heart. It sort of works backwards according to the order of what Jesus gives us. Uh, we see this really clearly laid out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, in that passage, Paul is reminding us of the story of Moses. The story of Moses, where his vision of God, seeing God, had a transformative effect on him, so that he was transformed by his vision of God. He saw God, and in that his face began to shine. He began to resemble God in the glory that shone from his face. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 8, Now the ministry of death, carved and letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Well, the ministry of the Spirit had even more. Moses saw God, and therefore he was transformed to resemble God. His face shone according to the glory of God. But what Paul also says is that the new covenant that we have is even better. God transforms us more greatly to resemble God by our own vision of God and Jesus Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Paul writes, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the same image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. But this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. By seeing God in Christ, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. But we might ask, well, well Moses saw God in, in a very um, clear way. Moses saw God talking with him face to face in the tent of meeting. Uh, face to face as a man speaks with his friend, we are told. How then do we speak to God? Where do we get to speak to God face to face in this sort of a way? And the answer that Paul gives in that passage in 2 Corinthians 3 and then in 4 is this happens through the scriptures. So we read about the transformation of us. Uh, Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, this is when they read the Old Covenant, or in verse 15, whenever Moses is read, it's about reading the Scriptures. And the same thing we see in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Believers dis or renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We, this is our ministry, refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. There it is, that's where we see Him. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. But he puts it most clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, when he talks about the blinding of the unbelievers. Why don't unbelievers see it? Why don't they see the gospel? Why don't they understand the gospel? Because they're blind. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The word of Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Where do we see God in his image? Where is that image? It's in Jesus Christ, the glory of Christ. He is the image of God. Where do we see the glory of Christ? We see the glory of Christ in the gospel. You either see it or you don't see it. If you don't see it, it's because the God of this world blinds you from seeing it. If you do see it, it's because God has given you eyes to see. And once you see Jesus in his glory, you can't unsee him. The Apostle John says much the same thing in the first letter of John. It's our vision 
that transform us not only now, but in the future. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now think about some of the places where this comes into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. All of this is about the resemblance of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. People hate us because they hate God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are God's children now. There's a resemblance that's beginning to form that flows out of that repentance. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we're going to be like him. We're going to resemble Christ. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. Now what's amazing is the next verse. The Apostle John says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and in the future when Christ returns, our blessedness and our hope, and we'll be transformed in a moment to be like him. Blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. So what we've seen is the purity of heart is something of the entry requirement to see God at all. But then we see that seeing God is also the engine that flows back to, to reshape us by this vision of God. But what all of this is pointing to is the eventual goal. Why is the point of this? Why should we care about seeing the invisible God? Because this is the whole hope of the gospel. This is what we were created for, Christian. And this brings us to the third point, the realization of our vision. The realization of our vision. To see God is to know God. This is declared throughout the entire Bible. We see this perhaps most clearly in Exodus 33, where Moses asks God in 33 verse 18, please show me your glory. Now earlier we read that Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But God says here, well, you can see my glory, but you can't see my face. Moses saw the face of God, but Moses didn't see the face of God in its full glory. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a rock, and I'm going to pass by you, and you are going to see the trailing parts of my glory. That is all that you are able to see. And so we read about this. But in Exodus 34, when the Lord passes by Moses, we don't read one word of visual description. We read nothing about what God looks like in his glory. We only read the proclamation of the name of the Lord. Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Moses, here's how you're going to see me. I am going to preach to you my name. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The Lord lets Moses see his glory by proclaiming his actions. To see God is to know God. To see God is to know the name of God. Not just what he is called, but his fame, his character, his attributes, his reputation. Now as for us, 
we see God by faith now as we await the day when we will see him by sight. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 through 9, telling us about the hope we have as we await the day when we will see Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We do not see him with our eyes, but we see him. We know him. We love him by faith. We walk not by sight. We walk instead by faith. But our vision will always be limited to the way in which we see God by faith. The goal, the whole goal of the Christian life is what theologians call the beatific vision. The goal of seeing the beauty of God forever and ever and ever. This is declared throughout the scriptures, but especially in the very last chapter, Revelation 22, verses 3 through 4, where we read that in the new Jerusalem, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Do you see the progression there? Earlier at the beginning of the Bible, when Moses saw the glory of God, he heard the name of the Lord proclaimed. By the end of the Bible, the name of God will be sealed on our foreheads. We will be claimed by him. We will resemble him. We will be called the children of God, and God will take us to be his people forever and ever and ever. That's the goal of the Christian life. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 90 puts this so well. What should be done to the righteous at the day of judgment? And the answer is that at the day of judgment, the righteous being caught up to Christ in the clouds shall be set on his right hand, and there openly acknowledged and acquitted shall join with him in the judging of reprobate angels and men and shall be received into heaven, where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, filled with inconceivable joys, made perfectly holy and happy both in body and soul, in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels, but especially especially in the immediate vision and fruition. Without a mediator, no mediator needed, in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. We see God. And this is the perfect and full communion which the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ and glory with the resurrection and the day of judgment. This is hope. Blessed are the pure heart. Why is this blessed? Because they shall see God. Our application from this is let us together grow in fitness for heaven by gazing on Christ by faith. Grow in fitness for heaven by gazing on Christ by faith. Now what we must take from this is that the Christian life is very purposefully, very deliberately spiritual. We walk by faith, not by sight. We listen to and believe in words. We don't follow after images. This is very important. This is declared in the second commandment. It's declared all over the scriptures. Don't make any images. Why? It distracts us from the spiritual pursuit of seeing God in his word by faith. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We see God by spiritual purity of heart, not by physical sight. Now again, this is very purposeful. It is deliberate on God's part. It is the way in which God is discipling us and transforming us and shaping us and preparing us and equipping us and fitting us for heaven. 
The Puritan John Owen puts it this way. He says, we shall hereby be made fit for heaven. And he says, well, most people think they're fit for heaven, right? All men indeed think themselves fit enough for glory. What should hinder them? Well, it's not them from going into glory if they could attain it. But it is because they know not what it is. You don't get glory. Men shall not be clothed with glory, as it were, whether they will or no. It's not just your choice in the matter. It is to be received in an exercise of the faculties of their souls, which such persons have no ability for. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, God is right now doing a work in your soul to prepare you, to equip you, to give you new faculties and abilities and powers to help you to see the glory of God for all of eternity. And that has to start with the spiritual work that God is doing to make you increasingly pure of heart. And so he says, music has no pleasure in it to them that cannot feel, nor the most beautiful colors to them that cannot see. It'd be no benefit to a fish to take him from the bottom of the ocean, filled with cold and darkness, and to place him under the beams of the sun, for he's in no way suited to receive any refreshment by that. And then he says this, as I close, heaven itself would not be more advantageous to persons not renewed by the spirit of grace in this life. You would be like a fish out of the water, seeing and standing before the blazing glory of God if you have not been prepared spiritually to see him by faith. God is fitting us, he is equipping us for the glory. He is training us first to see him by faith until the day when that faith will be made son. Now this is a truth for all of life, but I want to observe that today it's the Lord's day, it's the Sabbath day. And we are here together at a prayer service, so I want to draw this application on what God is doing spiritually in our souls right now on the Sabbath day at a prayer service to build in us this spiritual ability to walk by faith and not by sight. God declares in Exodus 31 verse 13 that keeping the Sabbath is a sign that God sanctifies us. He says, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for they are a sign that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sabbath-keeping is not a sign of what we are doing for God. Sabbath-keeping is a reminder that God is the one who works in us to sanctify us. Now, it's interesting. In Sabbath-keeping, the world can see our practice, but the world cannot see our path. The world can see that we withdraw from worldly occupations and worldly work and worldly recreations. The world can see that much, but the world cannot see the power of it. It seems foolish. It seems dead to the world. Why would you take an entire day off? Why would you unplug from what's going on in the rest of the world? It's because we walk by faith and not by sight. We rest from what we can see, our worldly work, our worldly recreations, and we devote the entire day to what is invisible and spiritual in the worship of the triune God. And by this worship on the Lord's Day, God week by week purifies our hearts as He is pure. He purifies our heart, blessed the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What grace that we are given on the Sabbath day, what glory, what blessedness to see God. The same thing is true of our prayer. Prayer is a means of invisible grace. Again, the world can perhaps see some of the power, or some of the practice of prayer, but none of the power. Because by prayer, God purifies our hearts. I, I, someone said, I, I've lost 
who said this? Forgive me, I was trying to look it up uh, today, but I couldn't find it. But someone said, in, in prayer, it's not that we are trying to pull God's will down to us. In prayer, God is actually lifting our will up to his. Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so by prayer, God is purifying our heart, lifting our hearts up to him, so that by prayer, our hearts may be pure, so we may see God. This is a day of, again, something that the world can see but not understand. But for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can't not see it. This is a day for the spiritual delight that we have in God, a day where we can rejoice and worship Him, where we can be made fit for heaven, and where God can continue the work of purifying our hearts so that we may see God. Again, what grace, what glory, what blessedness as we see God through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray to close out now and then let's set aside a season of prayer uh, where we seek to lift our hearts up by the grace of God in heaven and to be made fit for heaven, be purified in heart so that we may see God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have told us that the ones who will ascend your holy hill are those who have clean hands and pure hearts. Father, as we come into your presence tonight, we know that woe is us. We are lost. We are people of unclean lips, and we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And yet our eyes today have seen the glory of the King, the Lord of hosts, and so we pray that as we enter into your presence, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand all that is contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, don't let the God of this world blind us to the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. And so we pray now that as we lift our hearts up to you in prayer, you would bless what we cannot see, that you would purify our hearts and fit us for the day when what we experience now by faith will be made forever sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.